morning, church. We'll turn our attention to the Bible now. We're reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. This can be found on your pew Bibles on page 1672. That's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by the very nature of a servant. Being made into human likeness and being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We now have two readings. First is from Matthews chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. This is found in your pew Bibles on page 1422. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our next Bible reading is... 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 to 21. This is found in your pew Bibles on page 1648. Verses 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making this appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that his death in our place takes away our sin, and we thank you that because of what you have begun in us through him, you'll bring it to completion So we pray this day, make us more and more like your son, for his sake. Amen. Okay, can I ask you please to take out the leaflet that you were given as you came in? On the inside, you'll see, um, as usual, a reasonably detailed outline of what we're going to cover over the next little while. Uh, You'll see that the heading is, uh, as you know, thinking theologically about the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice referendum. Well, you see at the top left, I've asked a question. The question is, why am I speaking on this topic today? Why am I speaking on this topic today? Uh, Which is a fair question because, of course, there are lots of subjects that we don't address 
uh, from the pulpit, and this one is controversial and somewhat divisive. So, surely it'd be better just to avoid it. Uh, let me try to explain. Um, it seems to me that the upcoming voice referendum on the 18th of October strikes me that it's an incredibly significant moment in the life of our nation. I can think of at least three reasons. Firstly, normally we elect our politicians every three to four years and we leave them to get on with the process of governing and passing legislation. And if we don't like what they've done, then we just get rid of them at the next election. But every now and then, a constitutional change is so big that the entire country is directly asked for our opinion. And so, secondly, therefore, people have been and will continue to talk about the voice uh, with their friends and neighbours, with workmates and classmates, at the gym, in cafes, over the back fence, and, of course, on social media. But thirdly, whatever happens, and regardless of the outcome, the issues that have been raised, they will not disappear on October 15. All of that means, I think, that even if you're not eligible to vote, that is, you might not be a citizen, as a member of Australian society, it's important, I think, for us to use our God-given minds to think through these incredibly complex issues. And yet, here's the reason why I'm speaking on it today. If you're anything like me, it's hard to even know where to begin. And in fact, if you're anything like me, you've probably avoided thinking about this for years. So as we start, I want to reassure you of a couple of things. Firstly, I will not be telling you whether you should vote yes or no. I will not be telling you whether you should vote yes or no. Uh, that will either come as a disappointment or a relief to you, uh, depending on how firm your opinion already is. The reason I won't be telling you whether to vote yes or no is because we live in a liberal democracy that's predicated on the freedom to vote according to your individual conscience. And although there are times when we face clear moral choices, matters of absolute right and absolute wrong, please hear me when I say this is not one of those times. That's the reason why some Christians are going to vote yes and some Christians are going to vote no and both can be equally godly and God-honouring. Uh, in fact, I'm so concerned to avoid being seen to even subtly influence what you do that I won't tell you which way I'm going to vote, partly because I still haven't made up my mind. I'm also not going to spend time trying to evaluate the different arguments for and against the voice. I'm no politician, I am no constitutional lawyer, I have no First Nations heritage. I'll leave all of that discussion to others. But I will share what I personally have found to be the most compelling argument on both sides of the debate. So it seems to me that as your senior pastor, the most useful thing that I can do today is to try and offer some theological reflections about the referendum in general, which I know, of course, you could work out for yourself, but they might help you along the way. And so if you look at your handout, you'll see that I have five reflections that I want to offer. Firstly, don't be apathetic. Don't be apathetic. Whatever you think about the solution proposed by the referendum, no one disputes the underlying problem. What's the problem? The problem is that 
decades of trying to close the gap have failed to solve the tragedy of intergenerational disadvantage amongst Indigenous Australians. No one disputes that problem. Which means, I think, that apathy is not a response for Christians who seek to live by Christ's command to love God and to love our neighbour as ourselves. The reason I want to start here today is because, to be honest, it's tempting not to care. It's tempting to ignore the debate, to say, it's not my problem. It's tempting to switch off and keep quiet because if you keep your head down, it can't be shot off. And it's tempting to think that my single vote won't make a difference in a country of 25 million, so why bother? What I'm saying today is that we really must engage. One of the reasons for that is because God has placed us in a democracy under leaders that he has appointed. And that means that if they ask us for our opinion, apathy, I think, amounts to a rejection of God's intention for our country. Or put it slightly differently, God could have placed each one of us in a totalitarian regime where we had no say at all. And so I think to waste our democratic privilege feels like a pretty serious ingratitude. So my starting point is to urge you not to be apathetic. Now, the first step to overcoming apathy, I've said this there on your handout, is to take the time to get informed. To take the time to get informed. And I want to give you three practical suggestions about how you might do that. Firstly, and I think this is the bare minimum, I want to encourage you to read the Uluru Statement from the Heart. Read the Uluru Statement from the Heart because, let me say this, for all of its limitations, so I realise not every Indigenous Australian signed it or agrees with it, that would be impossible, but despite all of its limitations, this is the cornerstone of this whole process. So it seems to me that as an act of civility and courtesy, let alone as an act of love, we really ought to take the time to listen to those who have suffered so severely. And in fact, not doing so, not taking the time to listen, before we cast our vote, it feels a little bit like putting our hands over our ears and saying, I don't want to hear this. So, firstly, read the Uluru Statement from the Heart. Second suggestion, uh, there on your handout, is to read both the official yes and no pamphlets. Read both the official yes and no pamphlets because, to point out the obvious, the government spent a lot of our money producing them. How can I say that I think getting informed means you work out how you would instinctively vote and then you spend twice as long researching the other view. That's what I think it means to get informed. Or again, to put it slightly differently, please don't vote simply on party lines, even though that's how uh, the debate has lined up. Okay, third suggestion about getting informed so that we're not apathetic uh, is to read, uh, there on your handout, read thoughtful Christian responses both for and against. Read thoughtful Christian responses both for and against. Now, I've given you references to two. They both appear on the Gospel Coalition website. 
Michael Jensen and Sandy Grant. These are two godly Christian leaders who've publicly said that they'll vote differently. I want to say to you, I know both of these men. I respect them both. And together, I think they are proof of what I said before. The referendum is not a case of an absolute moral right or wrong, which is why Christians are free to vote either yes or no, but to do it in an informed fashion. So, please don't be apathetic. Take the time to get informed. Would I be going too far if I were to add, and no one will know if you can't be bothered, but God will. Okay, firstly, don't be apathetic. Second suggestion, down on the left-hand side of your handout, resolve to listen generously and to speak graciously. Resolve to listen generously and to speak graciously. Now, one of the reasons why I'm not saying which way I'll vote is because, as I said, I still haven't decided. In fact, I only started thinking about this question seriously six months ago uh, when I realised the referendum was actually going to go ahead and how significant it was going to be. I think that listening generously means remaining open-minded as long as possible because important contributions are and will still be made between now and October the 14th. So yes, for the record, I really am looking forward to your comments after church. Now, part of why I'm urging us to listen generously is because, well, like I said, I only started thinking about this six months ago. One of the first things that I did was that I talked to someone who said, honestly, I haven't thought about the voice very much, but I'm going to vote yes. And I asked them why. And he replied, well, because I listened to the ABC. To which I responded, well, I read The Australian, so I guess I'm voting no. At which point, both of us realised how narrow-minded we were. Both of us resolved at that point to spend a lot more time gaining a better understanding of different perspectives. Listening generously means not jumping to conclusions, not imputing the worst possible motive to someone else, which is why I also want to urge us to please speak graciously. Please speak graciously. Because if you believe the polls, this is going to be very close. Uh, or to put it slightly differently, whichever side wins, our country is going to be deeply divided. And probably more so after we've been forced to pick sides. So it seems to me that how you and I conduct ourselves during this campaign, that will determine how willing others will be to listen to us on the next issue, whatever it is that we want to speak about. Speaking graciously means not being inflammatory, not being unnecessarily provocative, even when others are. So, the shrill cries out there like, uh, if yes wins, you'll lose your home. That's just scaremongering. Just as toxic sound bites like, anyone who votes no is a racist, that's utter nonsense, given how many Indigenous leaders have said they'll vote no. 
Now, I did say I would share what for me personally has been the most compelling argument both for yes and for no. I'm aware that as I do this, I'm stepping out of the realm of theology, but I want to do it as an example of how I've tried to listen generously uh, and to speak graciously about both sides in this process. So this is down the bottom left of your handout. The most compelling argument for me personally to vote yes? Well, even though the voice is not a perfect solution, and no one I think pretends that it is, I think the voice is a serious attempt to redress the awful and undisputed reality of Indigenous disadvantage in our country. And so it seems to me that if it will be an improvement on the status quo, then maybe it's the first step in the right direction. When the Uluru Statement from the Heart basically says, we who have suffered so much think this is worth a try, please give us a chance, I think the rest of us need to be very slow to send them away empty-handed. I want to say, I realise that the lack of details about how the voice will work makes this a very difficult assessment to make. But perhaps I can just point out this much. We don't need to know everything before we can proceed. That would be completely unreasonable. We just need to know enough. Okay, what's been the most compelling argument for me personally to vote no? Well, I find the lack of bipartisan support very troubling. As you'd be aware, only eight out of 44 referendums in the history of this country have ever passed, and every single one of them had bipartisan support. And what that says to me, I think, is that if our elected leaders can't agree that this is the best way forward, we the people should be very cautious. The Constitution should be hard to change because it's far too easy for us to get swept up in populism in the heat of the moment. And in fact, the whole strategy of calling for a permanent constitutional change because every previous legis legislative attempt has failed, that feels risky to me. It's basically saying, vote yes now and trust us politicians to work out the details later. Now, that there are respected Indigenous leaders on both sides of politics uh, on both sides of the debate shows how complex this is. But the only way we will ever achieve peace and unity in our country is if we're willing to listen generously and to speak graciously. And I find myself wondering, wouldn't it be wonderful if Christians were known for conducting ourselves with more compassion, more empathy and more patience than anyone else in our country. Not that that's a very hard bar to achieve. Okay, don't be apathetic. Secondly, resolve to listen generously and to speak graciously. Thirdly, right-hand side of your handout. Thirdly, resist the urge to vote out of self-interest. Resist the urge to vote out of self-interest. One of the big challenges in a liberal democracy is that elections are usually won by appealing to self-interest. 
Uh, vote for me and I'll make your life better than the other team will. And that means, I think, we have to consistently resist the urge to ask, and this is going to sound crass, but it's basically what's going on in an election. We have to resist the urge to ask, what's in it for me? I say that because, if I'm being honest, I really only started paying attention to this whole thing when I realised that it might affect me personally. Did you know the Illawarra Statement from the Heart was written in 2017? That's six years ago. But I've been too apathetic to even bother reading it until earlier this year. Instead, Christians are people who instinctively ask not what's in it for me, we are people who ask, what's in it for others? Or even more pointedly, we ask, what can I give up for the sake of those with less? Now, obviously, I've expressed it that way because, well, we Christians ought be willing to put aside our preferences, to give up our rights, even to act to our disadvantage and against our own interests for the sake of the weak and the marginalised? Why? Well, because it's what Christ did for us. The words of that great hymn, He left His Father's throne above, so free, so infinite His grace. He emptied Himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Jesus is the one who sets the example for us to follow. So we saw that in Philippians chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. And so what I'm saying today is that if your gut reaction to the referendum is, so what's it going to cost me personally? Perhaps what we need to be reminded of is how much Jesus was willing to give up for us. We need to be reminded that this Jesus insists that anyone who would be his disciple must pick up their cross daily as well. Now, please don't mishear me. I am not saying that resisting the urge to vote out of self-interest will necessarily lead you to vote yes, as if to help the suffering of Indigenous Australians it could actually lead you to vote no, to prevent future discrimination against others caused by giving preferential treatment to some. Once again, we are free to choose how we'd like our finite resources in our country to be deployed. But our mindset should be to seek to imitate Christ. And so what I am saying is that this is a radically different perspective. This is saying that no matter our history to date, no matter who's to blame for landing us in this mess, the question that we ask is not, what do I stand to gain, but what am I willing to give up? Fourth reflection, halfway down on your hand on the right-hand side, Remember that reconciliation with God matters more than reconciliation with each other. 
Remember that reconciliation with God matters more than reconciliation with other, with each other. Now, earlier this year, I was privileged to spend uh, some time with Neville Naden. Uh, he's an Indigenous Christian leader, uh, the Bush Church AIDS Indigenous Ministries Officer. Over the course of the conversation, uh, what he said, uh, and he's happy for me to share it with you, acknowledging this is not the official BCA perspective, so you understand that. His view is that the big risk for Christians with this referendum is that it distracts us from our core business. Because our core business is all about reconciliation with God. And Neville points out that in Australian society, the word reconciliation, it usually means reciprocity. If you do this for me, I'll do that for you. Whereas in the New Testament, first and foremost, reconciliation refers to how we relate to God, which God initiates and God makes possible through Christ's work for us. That's what we saw in 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, Or in other words, these are my words, they won't surprise you, the vertical shapes and precedes the horizontal. So what Neville is saying is that however the country decides, the biggest problem facing Indigenous Australians will not have changed. Because the biggest problem is not social disadvantage. The biggest problem is not having your sins counted against you not being reconciled to God. And that's exactly the same problem that afflicts every Australian. After all, the most important date in Australian history will not be October 14th. It's actually a date that's still to be set. It's the day when Jesus returns and every knee will bow And every tongue will acknowledge that he is Lord. The only question is whether we do so willingly and joyfully at the arrival of our King or defiantly as a final act of rebellion. The thing is, we Christians are the only people in our country who know this. We're the only people who understand that until we're reconciled with God, then no matter how well we learn to live with each other, it's not enough. This has been a big challenge for me over the last few months, to be less focused on the referendum and more concerned about the ongoing and much bigger need to reach every Indigenous Australian with the Gospel. That doesn't mean that all of us should be exclusively involved in outreach to First Nations people. Actually, Matthew 28 reminded us that we are to make disciples of all nations. But at the very least, I think it means we ought be praying now for the unreached peoples in our own backyard because they are quite literally our nearest neighbour whom we might love. And so fifth and final suggestion then, there at the bottom of your handout, give thanks that God is still sovereign. Give thanks that God is still sovereign. 
I, of course, am no prophet. I don't know what's going to happen on October 14. But I do know that on October 15, God will still be sovereign over Australia. God's will will still be done in our country. His kingdom will still come in due course. And one day, his name will be hallowed throughout the entire earth. Because through the rise and fall of nations, God has been, is now, and will always be in complete control. As a church, we've just spent the last two months in the book of Exodus. We've seen the way in which God has always been faithful to his promises. God's people only went to Egypt after Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, but actually that enabled their whole family to escape a brutal famine in their homeland. Whilst in Egypt, the Israelites were brutally oppressed for a century until God rescued them, and when he did, they plundered the Egyptians, leaving them laden with silver and gold. And when God destroyed the Egyptian army at the Red Sea, in so doing, he struck fear into the surrounding nations, securing safe passage for his people on their way to the Promised Land. And centuries later, that same sovereign God uses a cowardly Roman governor named Pilate to nail God's own son to a cross. But as he does, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. And so in the history of our own country, yes, it is true and sad and awful that Europeans brought terrible problems to the first peoples. But those Europeans also brought the gospel of Jesus Christ, which speaks to God's sovereignty and to his unfailing love because there is no other name on earth or under heaven by which anyone can be saved except the name of Jesus. And what I think that means is that whatever happens, we Christians will neither be utterly devastated, nor completely delighted with the result. Because we know that our God's purposes for our country will still come to pass, irrespective of what's happened before or what mistakes we make in the future. God is still sovereign, and that conviction doesn't breed apathy, rather it gives rise to hope. Hope that... Because God sent his son and raised him from the dead, God's promise that life in his name must be preached to the ends of the earth, that promise will not fail. In fact, it's what's happening right now. This hope, which does not disappoint, that's what enables us to stand firm as Christ's ambassadors, proclaiming reconciliation with God as the solution to every Australian's greatest need. So will you join me and I'll lead us in prayer. I'm going to pray using the words from the song we're just about to sing. May the mind of Christ my Saviour live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say.
May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win. And may they forget the channel, seeing only him. Amen.